City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we uh, pause and we thank you for uh, this time, for life, for the blessings that we have. We know that you provide them, but we don't always recognize it. And we just pray you'll be with us. Our, our viewers who are here in studio and then those who are home watching, those who will tune into the archives, people who are seeking truth, uh, and uh, people who are just uh, checking this out, we pray for our volunteers and the people who are running the show and everybody else involved. We seek you, Lord, and we uh, want to have a better relationship, and that's why we get together to talk about this stuff. So we pray that you'll be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, something interesting is that uh, years and years ago, before we started the show, uh, I, was going, I was attending the Calvary Chapel School of Ministry in Costa Mesa, California, and uh, I have the invitation to do the show. And there was a board of directors that ran Calvary Chapel School, uh, Calvary Chapel itself. Chuck Smith was at the head of the board. And uh, there was, I think, like 12 or 14 guys who sat on that board. And they, uh, Chuck Smith said, we'll support Sean flying back from uh, Southern California to Salt Lake once a week for the first, uh, I think, six months they supported us. So the board members would tune in to the show when we first started. And the biggest critique they had um, of the show that they sort of unanimously, at least they said they unanimously, unanimously agreed upon, I don't think Chuck Smith was along with this, was don't waste your time saying a prayer. That was the quote. Don't bother saying a prayer. Just get right into it, Sean. Just get right into it. And when I heard that, it automatically there was one of my first opportunities to understand the difference between religious mind think and the individual. Uh, that just did not ring true with me. I, I didn't like it. I didn't appreciate it. I thought, I'm doing something. We're trying to reach people for God. I'm going to pray. And to take that out of the equation is probably the last thing that should be taken out of the equation. But I had this board of very religious men. They all love God. They all love Jesus. But they thought in their wisdom, no, you just cut that, just cut that out. That's our advice. And uh, I didn't take it. I've never taken it. And, uh, and, and I think God has blessed us that we always try to bring him into this thing as bad as it can be sometimes and let him uh, kind of work in your hearts and in ours. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, if I was a, a millionaire or a billionaire now in these days, I would do something, uh, I, would go, I would throw so much money after to accomplish this, but I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire or a, a hundred thousandaire or a ten thousandaire. But have you ever heard of Consumer Reports? Consumer Reports is a magazine that started in 1936, and they are dedicated to testing, uh, unbiasedly testing um, and researching products and, and public uh, entities and public education and advocacy. And it has a circulation of like three and a half million in the US or maybe even around the world. And they'll take uh, the widget and they will do a study on all the widgets out there. And they'll come up and say, widget A is good, but it has these problems and for the price. And they'll come out and say, this is the number one widget we think that you should uh, go after and for these reasons. So it's pretty cool. It's taken a lot of time, money, and energy it's to produce. And uh, 
We have similar rankings and rating systems in like US News and World Report for colleges. We have them uh, and universities. We have them for corporations, of course, Forbes and everybody else. I got a question for you. Where is the consumer church consumer reports? Where is that watchdog group? I don't mean some rabid evangelical who's testing to see if everybody is, uh, you know, preaching this or preaching that. I mean a group. I've wanted to start this several times. In fact, I've made attempts to get it going, but I just don't have the time nor the funding and God doesn't want me doing it. But I mean, people dedicate so much of their time and energy and focus to support religious institutions and why isn't there a third party consumer reports that are taking these guys to task? How come, how come we don't have that? Why hasn't someone done that? Listen, I'm giving some enterprising young person and I'm going to say it, a million dollar idea here. It's a million dollar idea. Yes, it would be monetized. It would make money. Um, don't think, you know, I haven't considered doing it myself. But uh, in fact, that's pretty much what I sort of serve as. Consumer report, single guy that no one trusts really, right? But that's what I'm doing. But it, it's not effective because what I say and what I do, there's so many voices out against this that I'm never going to have an audience really that will, well, trust me, they listen to all everything else that's said. So uh, years ago, I bought the rights to a, a website called Check My Church. And, um, but I was never able to really develop it. And I'm not sure I'll ever be able to develop it now that I'm doing this, the apostolic record, but one of you could. And I realized this recently when a brother who is a former Mormon, this guy, he created his own website and his own YouTube channel as a disaffected Mormon. And he, I mean, he wasn't invited to do it. He went and did it himself. And he kind of made himself the sunglass on the street reporter of everything Mormonism. And he talked in the camera about how all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. You need just grace. It's just grace, you know, don't you? And, you know, and he was really good at it and he got a huge following. He did really well at this because he's a consummate salesman. And, uh, but the guy gets the following of people and then he goes and he joins another religion. He goes and, 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 and joins another legalistic, ritualistic, even as wildly doctrinally different as Mormonism. And now, so everybody who's trusting him about leaving Mormonism is following into, and he's using this to bring them in. Where's the consumer reports that says, this is what this guy's saying now. This is what he's pushing out to you now, you know. I have zero problem with anybody. Him personally going to that, fine, do it. You know, someone who goes and becomes a Catholic, a Baptist, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon. You want to do that individually, fine. But when you have created a name for yourself and you are pulling people into another form of religious bondage, there's a watchdog group that's needed to expose that and to be able to explain why it's no good. So my friend Michael in Sweden, he said, it would be like the Yelp uh, 
for restaurants or trip advisors for hotels, but it would be for churches. And uh, the way to monetize it will play right into the hearts of the religionists, uh, you know. So someday if I live long enough, I'll do it. But if I can't, steal the idea from me right now. Go off and take it, throw something at it, get the websites built, figure out how to monetize the thing. And if you have a, if you have a question on, I have an idea on how you could do that, uh, email me, Sean at Alathia Media, and we can talk. But the thing is, it has to be neutral. It has to be fact-based. And uh, it has to be dangerous as hell to these religions. And I mean, these pastors would be screaming in their pillows at night because the fear it would bring into them. You, do, you have a section in there. I mean, I, look at, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go out. A little bit casual show tonight, and it's going to be short. But just imagine that there's a map of the U.S. when you go to the site. And you click on Utah, and it says what county. And you click on Salt Lake County, and all the churches in Salt Lake County come up with dots. And you have an ability to sort Baptists, and, and then only the Baptists remain. Or, or, and, and then the major denominations like Mormonism are excluded. You just cover them in one fell swoop because they don't change. They're like McDonald's. The Mormonism here is going to be the Mormonism there. The Catholicism here will be like the Catholicism there. But the non-denominationals and the different ones out there, you click on it and it brings up the profile. And the profile says financial report. This church brought in this much money last year. How many vacations did the pastor take? Do they preach tithing? How much time is spent in their worship? How many are on their staff? Do they use the Bible? Are they threatening people with hell? And, and if they are, fine. Are they not? Fine. There's no judgment. It's just the facts. And then what you do, I think, is that you give two memberships. One's a free, open, limited access membership. You can have that. Anyone can have that. And you go, and the way you monetize that is just through advertising, through Christianity Today and, and Bible publishers. They advertise on your site. But the way to really monetize it is you have a full membership, full access, and that gives you all the dirty details like what the congregates have to say about the church and the ex-people. And only those who pay, you know, a $12 a year fee get to see the full. And you know who's going to be the biggest buyer of it? The, the pastors and the people who go to those churches. So I'm telling you, if you want a million dollar idea that will do some damn good, it'll help people. Someone take this up and run with it. All right? And none of you will. And we will sit here the same way we have year after year. And there we go. All right. To the show really quickly. Uh, there's this guy named Soren Kierkegaard. And in my lost years of searching when I was LDS trying to find truth, I kind of rambled around in, in, in philosophy. And Soren Kierkegaard is, if you don't know, he's this guy who's considered, he's Danish, and he's considered the father of existentialism and, uh, and, and even Christian existentialism. He was a Christian existentialist. Existentialism's tough to define, but it's existentialism. It's minute-to-minute -minute existing. And really, the, at the core of existentialism is subjectivity, which is in part why, why, why I am a subjective Christian. I really was influenced by Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, as opposed to a Christian existentialist, you have a guy named Jean-Paul Sartre. He's an atheistic existentialist. 
and he borrowed from Kierkegaard, but stripped God out. And so there's kind of the difference. But Soren Kierkegaard, he fell in love with this woman named Regina. And man, he was head over heels for this woman. He wanted to be with her with everything he had, but he had a bigger call in his life to serve God and pursue and find God full time. And so he sacrificed his relationship with Regina knowing that it would have consumed too much of his life and instead he decided that he would go and serve only God. And it broke his heart and it really did affect him personally. And so some of the writings that he does reflects about the sacrifices we make as Christians for what is best, what is right. And he wrote a book that was based off Philippians 2 called Fear and Trembling. Fear and Trembling. And in the book, he, he talks about how Abraham, with fear and trembling, took his son Isaac and he knew, one, I am going to follow God in faith, and two, I'm being asked to do something that the pagans do. And this does not make sense. And so with fear and trembling, he walked his Christian walk. And, and Kierkegaard somehow sort of incorporated the sacrifice he did of Regina in his life and the fear and trembling that was backing why he took that action to... Abraham and Isaac, and he goes into a, it's a couple hundred page book, and he goes into a long examination of, and it's, it's profound. I mean, if you want some really good Christian reading, read Fear and Trembling, but the guy is super aphoristic, meaning he can say in a sentence this long a, a few things that you could ponder on for a week. He is that smart, right? So Fear and Trembling comes from Paul, and he uses the phrase three times in the scripture. And Paul says, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul also says in other place, we are saved by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. So we have kind of this, this conflict. He's saying on one hand, in one place, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But on the other hand, Paul says, we are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how are you supposed to take these paradoxical statements and understand what kind of Christian and how you're supposed to be this, this, this Christian? So what you do is you have to say, well, what does he mean by work out your own salvation? I would suggest to you that what he means uh, with fear and trembling is that salvation is given to you by grace. God gives it to you. It's a gift. You don't work for it. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. He's given it to you. And let's just say that that gift could be um, represented by a cult, a wild-ass cult. I mean, bucking bronco cult. I don't know much about animals. I don't even know if they do that, but let's just say this one's really bad. It's a cult, and you're given that. That's yours. That's your salvation. You own it. You've received it freely. Now, Paul says, that's the first part. That's, that's, the, that's the Ephesians and the Galatians part, where salvation is not of works. It's a gift. But now when Paul says, work out your own salvation, you have the salvation. You have the cult. 
Work that out with fear and trembling. And what he means by that is, listen, your walk with that cult and your training of that cult and your walk in salvation with God is to be with fear and trembling. It is to be with a humility. It's to be uh, managed and guided and loved and combed and fed and nurtured with fear and trembling is what he uses. And because there's responsibility for what God has given you. Yes, it's a free gift. Yes, it's glorious and you get it, you receive it. But there's responsibility that comes with it. And that is what he means, I would suggest, by work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The problem is, is that legalistic religions like the Catholics, like the Greek Orthodox, like super far-right wing Baptists, like the Mormons, they like to say your salvation is predicated on you working it out. So you better do this. Now that you've stepped into this walk by faith, Paul says, are you going to now perfect your flesh uh, through the law? And that's how they kind of approach it. Yeah, you need to jump through these hoops. You need to make sure that that colt you have can jump 10 feet in order for you to make sure that your salvation's really, really there. That's not the message. The message is that salvation was given to you. Free gift, no strings attached, it's yours. But then Paul says, be responsible and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The problem with the legalistic churches is they don't include the next verse. That's uh, Philippians 2.12. Verse 13 says, listen to this, for it is God that does the work in you. Did you catch that? So Paul starts, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but he doesn't end there. When, when, a, when a legalistic church uses it, they, they use that passage extracted from the context. The context is, Paul adds, for it is God that is working in you. Now that changes the whole picture of what the legalists are trying to do. They're trying to say, you need to sanctify yourself through works of righteousness, through rituals, through ablutions, through coming to church every week, through paying your money, through making sure that you say prayers to Mary, for making sure that you burn the right incense or wear the right pope hats or whatever. Sorry, I'm not mocking, I'm just pointing it out. You need to go to the temple every week in order for you to be right. That is not what that Paul means. What Paul says is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, realizing that it is God who is working it out in you. So what happens in that shift is the legalists seem to try to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, earn it, work it, take that colt out. You make sure you feed it the right food and beat it and comb it and whatever you do with an animal to train it. You make sure you do that, right? But what Paul is saying is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and let God work through that cult. You step back. You let go. So Paul's work out your own salvation does not mean working in the sense of, of uh, um, doing religious things. It means with fear and trembling, letting God and, and being humble and saying, God, am, am I, am I, are we together on this? Talking with him. 
you're, you're taking this over. I'm trusting you. Help me with my unbelief. All that kind of stuff. It's dying to the flesh, not enhancing the flesh, you see. And, and, and that is uh, the great source of what fear and trembling and Kierkegaard's trying to talk about. He's trying to say, how do we do that? And he comes up with an answer that's about philosophy more than it is faith, but we won't go into that. So I just wanted to talk about that, that we as believers are to receive the cult, receive the salvation, joyfully, grateful that God so loved us, he gave his only begotten son to save the world. That's what he did. Those who are his realize that once they have that gift of salvation, like John the Baptist said, they need to decrease so that God in them can increase. We need to stop with all of our efforts to improve ourselves, and we need to rely on God's efforts to improve ourselves. They're the only ones that work. When the, when the churches get involved and they try to make you think that you have to do these other things, that's an external application to God. That is trying in your flesh to still earn something from Him and prove that you are uh, going to get something from Him and make Him love you more and not be angry at you for the sins that are in your uh, flesh. But what Paul was teaching is let it go. Realize it was done on the cross. Realize the man who could do it did it that you can't. And get out of his way. Let the Spirit work in and through you and produce those fruits that are concurrent with being saved, right? One last thing before we wrap it up. And I just want to touch on it, and it's on the concept of sin. And we've talked a lot about it before, but I just want to speak to it one, a little bit before we wrap, close it up tonight. It's inconsistent. It's illogical to get on people or look down on people who have sin. The reason it's inconsistent is because you have sin. Jesus taught, take the moat out of your own eye before you try to take the splinter out of the other person's. Now, every time I have this conversation with somebody who is pointing out sin in other people's lives, they say, well, I don't try to sin. Or they say, uh, I'm doing my best to keep sin out of my life. That may be true. And, but in reality, the sin that's in your life is still your choice. You're still choosing to sin. You're allowing it. You're not letting Jesus fully take the, the wheel. You're stepping in and, and you're trying to manage it yourself and you can't. So if you have sin, any kind of sin, and someone else has sin, and you point at them and say, you need to get rid of your sin, you're guilty of something far worse in Jesus' eyes. He taught about that all the time. He was constantly saying, just back off and let them deal with God and you deal with yourself. People somehow think that they are without sin. They are without sin in Christ, but not in their flesh. Their flesh, and even if it's the sin of judgment, that is a worse sin than the sin of fornication. 
They want to focus on the sins of the flesh because those they can see, all the while ignoring the fact that the most egregious sins are buried deep in their hearts. The only way to go before God without hypocrisy stamped on your forehead is to not get involved with judging other people and their problems. You got to just try to see it in the way that, that it was set up, that we all have sin. Jesus paid for the sin of the world. Therefore, the sin is wiped away. The sin is gone. And the only commandments now a Christian has is to believe on Jesus and to love. When they fail to believe on Jesus and to love, that's the sin in the Christian life. All the rest of it's been paid for. And if it's been paid for, it's impossible for someone else to commit it. So now we just went from this level of saying you don't have the right to judge someone for sin to the next level where sin has been wiped away and that's not even in existence because it was paid for. So why are you even talking about it? Let's talk about faith and let's try to love. So all those things are kind of working in with uh, some of the theological uh, topics I'm trying to hit on in Heart of the Matter this year. And shorter show tonight. Next week, I just want to invite you to tell your friends to tune in because uh, we're going to talk about something that is not understood and that is so ridiculously believed today. And I, I really think that by the time the 55 minutes are over next week, at least a good portion of you will convert to uh, the side I'm standing on. And it's all going to be from the scripture. And the topic is the resurrection. See you next week.